0: With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth. You're sharing it. More at fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Saturday, December 4th. Mark, last Saturday, when I had to wake up early to do my CBS Mornings hit on retail sales, Did you happen to notice that um, when you listened or watched that segment that I off the cuff could come up with a lyric from Sondheim in the middle of my segment after Stephen Sondheim died? That's pretty impressive, I think. That's some weird Broadway deep dive, huh? I love Sondheim so much, just a little moment, since I didn't get to talk. I do not really like to do this during the week, but on the weekends, I love Sondheim. And to be honest with everybody, as much as I love talking about all of this with you guys, if I could just do a theater podcast with somebody and just talk theater for every single day and figure out how to get paid for it, oh my God, I'd love that. If you're not familiar with Stephen Sondheim, it's such interesting, complex music. The lyrics are gorgeous. Wow, that was some obituary in the times, huh, Mark? Like a front page obit with two huge pages inside. It was amazing. Anyway, everyone, go check out A Little Sondheim. I really, really hope that that is something that I can give to you. Love your theater. All right. Now, this is the program that takes mystery out of your financial life. Today, we're talking about year end, and we have our guest, one of our favorite guests, Michael Goodman, friend of the show. He is the founder and the president of Wealthstream Advisors, it's a big-time financial planning firm in New York City, but mostly he's a friend of ours, and he always helps us out. Today, we are going to do sort of um, the first of two days. We're going to be talking about some of the general things that you need to be thinking about as we come into the end of the year. Now, I also want to just say that we did a, um, as much as we could about the audio. Michael's audio sucks, but we did guilt him into buying a new microphone, so hopefully that will work. Michael is a certified financial planner. He is a CPA by training, so he's very deep into the tax planning world. Um, And so here is our interview with Michael Goodman. How has the year been for you and for the clients? Give me like sort of a general uh, heat check on that.
1: In the end, it's been good. It's just been very bumpy. Uh, you know, as we sit here at year end and do planning, I think everybody's pretty grateful for where they are, economically speaking, you know, through the year for the most part, not everybody, but most part. But it's been a bumpy ride along the way, not only in the markets, but also from a planning standpoint and a tax planning standpoint. I think there was a lot of expectations what might come down the pike and then there were changes to that. and Now it looks pretty benign.
0: So now we're talking to you and we have not yet had any Build Back Better plan passed as we interview you. But what is your anticipation for whether or not something will happen before year end with that plan?
1: It's anybody's guess at this point. I I would have predicted other things to have happened sooner. So I feel less confident at this point. But I think we're going to see something before the end of the year. And I think it's going to be pretty benign. I don't think it's going to have a lot of teeth in it.
0: So when you think about what the changes could be on the tax code, the big, when you say benign, tell us about some of the changes that you're hearing about. You know, again, everyone listening, as we're interviewing Michael right now, there is no Build Back Better that's been passed. But what are you hearing about what's on the table and um, the kinds of things that people should be thinking about if they do believe this is going to pass?
1: First of all, almost all these things we're talking about, people that That would have been in the case, would have been instances where people make over $400,000 a year. So for the majority of folks, it wouldn't have been very impactful anyway. The Mm -hmm. other thing to talk about is there was expected big changes to the estate tax laws, also known as the death taxes. And those seem to be gone. So those were gonna be very impactful to wealthy people. And those seem at this point, who knows what'll happen, to be off the plate. Additionally, income tax increases We're going to be very threatening to people that made more than $400,000 a year, in some cases, higher numbers in other drafts that we've seen. And those seem to be mostly off the table, except for people that make, you know, $10 million and up.
0: And so and what about capital gains? Any changes there that you're hearing about?
1: No, my understanding is those rates will stay the same.
0: So that's the backdrop of build back better. If you make more than ten million dollars a year, um, you know you better get an appointment with your CPA. Otherwise, most of this stuff is going to be pretty much as is. Let us talk now as we come to the year end about the unique aspects of twenty 2020, twenty now twenty twenty one that are still in place. So many people work from home or had partial years, how does that impact their tax situation for 2021?
1: Well, there's a couple of big things to talk about with respect to work from home. And by far the most important one is where were you working from and what jurisdiction or what state or locale will you be paying income taxes in? There are some people that believe that they'll be paying taxes in the locale that they work from home from, but the states might disagree. You might even find yourself in a position if you were originally living in one state, but now we're working from, quote, home in another state, that you might have both states looking for your income taxes. So this is something that people need to look very carefully about.
0: And what about the idea of deducting some of the expenses? I mean, remember in 2020, everyone's like, Oh, my God, I bought a chair and a desk and I spent thousands of dollars and I made a home office, and we had to break the news to them that like, uh-oh, you're you're not entitled to take anything. You're an employee. And there's no been no change to those rules, right, Michael?
1: That's right. So if you are uh, an employee only receiving your income via a W2, then you're going to have a hard time getting those deductions. As a matter of fact, you're not going to be able to deduct those expenses. Your best chance would be to go to your employer and try to see if you can get reimbursed for those expenses. However, if you have some side hustle going on and some 1099 or self-employment income coming in, that's where you'd want to take advantage of those expenses. So,
0: Michael, there's there are also some things at the year end that people should be aware of are around, you know, Obviously, a lot of people know they have to take their required minimum distributions, but can you talk a little bit about um, the qualified charitable distribution and why that can be so helpful to a lot of taxpayers?
1: Yes. The qualified charitable distribution, or QCD for short, is a very, very important thing for people that are taking their required minimum distributions to be aware of. And this is because you can take Up to $100,000 or your RMD the lesser of those two and have that money be directed to a charity and the reason that's so important is not only because you won't pay income tax on that you won't be paying any of the other what are known as stealth taxes and what I mean by that is when your income is higher there are other factors in your tax return that are impacted by that a good example for a retiree could be their Medicare rates Mm-hmm. A good example for other people might be hurdles that your medical expenses need to get over before you can deduct those. It could be how your Social Security income is taxed. So there's many different factors that come into play when your income is higher. I want to emphasize the QCD is more powerful than an itemized deduction.
0: Okay end of the year is often when people start looking for tax loss harvesting. Now, we have had huge years in the markets, despite the volatility. So I think last year, the S&P was up 16%. As we talk today, we are looking at markets being up 25%. So I'm not sure there's a lot of losers in anyone's portfolio. How should people think about reallocation of their portfolio or just rebalancing come year end, in order to kind of get themselves back to whatever their desired allocation is if they're sitting on fat gains?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's really important that people remember to rebalance. And of course, it's kind of obvious, but let's just state it. If it's an IRA or a 401k or a retirement account, you're not gonna pay any tax to rebalance. So don't be greedy, be happy, be grateful that you have the appreciation you have and rebalance back to your original targets. It's a very important thing to do. If you have gains in your non-retirement accounts and you don't wanna pay the tax, first take a gut check and just see where you're gonna be next year. Are you in a lower bracket this year than next year? do you expect to make more money next year, et cetera? Think that through. But you can always just defer the gain and wait until after January 1st and then take your gains then uh, so that you make sure you stay balanced.
0: And of course, if you're putting money in, you can rebalance that way. So we have been getting a lot of questions from people who are sitting on their fat stock positions and lamenting how they don't want to invest in bonds. Are you ready to make the case, Goody Goodman, for bonds in a portfolio, please?
1: Absolutely. So let's just talk about why people put money in bonds. You know, generally speaking, we don't invest in bonds for the yield or the income. We invest in bonds because it's the only reliable ballast in a portfolio of stocks. It's the only investment that you can put in a portfolio, other than cash, of course, that's going to protect your downside on the stock if you need cash. That's the main purpose, number one. We have to keep that in mind. We're not investing in bonds because we think we're going to make a lot of money. Stocks is where we make a lot of money, and that's where you should invest when you want risk. Two, if you buy bonds and you're getting income, even if it's modest, you're getting that income. You're locked in. You don't necessarily need to buy bonds in this environment that are 30 year bonds. You would want bonds that are probably shorter to maybe intermediate uh, portfolio, but there is some income coming in, especially if you're in a very high tax bracket. Because the municipal bonds are tax free. So it's definitely something that people should have in their portfolios, not only to moderate risk, but also to earn more than you can get in your cash accounts.
0: What can I do to make people understand that the bonds in general, like when they say, well, bonds are losing money? I want to re-emphasize. I think that the wasn't the worst year ever for bonds, nineteen ninety four, and it was like the on that year when we talk about losing, it was like down a couple percent or something. When we talk about you're going to lose money in bonds, it's not like you're going to, you know, buy a junk bond, lever it up, and lose forty percent of your money. That's not what we're talking about. And as Michael said, there is something kind of neat in that if if you're in a bond fund, for example and you get your dividend, and you reinvest it, you are forcing yourself to buy at lower levels. Now, I guess that there's also a fear, Michael, that a lot of people out there are worried about inflation. They're worried about bonds not keeping pace with the rate of inflation. How do you think about that? How do you talk to your clients about that?
1: inflation is most likely going to be a short-term issue, probably going to be a year on the short end and probably three to four years on the higher end. And we don't know if the inflation is going to sustain at a high rate over those three to four years or it's going to go down. The Fed, which generally has some of the sharpest people in the business, are predicting that it's more of a short-term concept. If you're really worried about inflation, you can buy some inflation protected bonds to protect yourself. But just keep in mind, that you're probably buying into a market where everybody's already pretty concerned about inflation.
0: So when you're planning, when you just do your general financial planning for your very important clients, what is it that you use for an inflation rate?
1: For long-term inflation, we're using mm-hmm.
0: 2.5%. Did you used to use 2 or have you always used 25
1: We used to use something around 3% uh, because that was the very long Uh, historical average, but that also included some very steep years of inflation. Up until the pandemic, inflation had been very much in check. So the more, uh, how you say, adjusted average was something a little less than that.
0: Crystal ball wise, if you look at, let's say, uh, somebody who's 55 or 60 years old, they want to do their financial planning, you use two and a half percent for inflation. What is it that you use for, say, a balanced investor, more balanced investor in terms of rate of return for, again, long-term, you're doing the planning for 30 years in advance. Give away your secrets right now, Michael. No one wants to pay your fat fees.
1: So if we're talking about a 60-40 portfolio, we're probably predicting, you know, we, we tend to damper this down a little bit in our projections, probably around a 5 to 6% rate of return uh, over a very long period of time.
0: Do you get pushback on that?
1: No, we don't, actually. There's always a couple of clients that think it's too modest. But when you're doing planning... A lot of clients prefer to be a little bit more on the cautious side with rates of return.
0: Okay, so tomorrow we will conclude our interview. You got a little bit of the the general year-end stuff. We're going to talk about some uh, more evergreen notions around financial planning, especially as people start their planning process coming into next year. So I think that will be fun. And if you have a question, either for me and Mark or Michael Goodman, just go to our website, jillonmoney.com, and click the contact button. While you're there, you can subscribe to our sister broadcast, Ion Money, or you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. That's the program. We do want to thank you so much for listening and try to lift somebody up today. It will make you feel so good and it will make that person feel good. Remember our mantra it's going to remain right through the end of this year and probably in next year too. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.